Um, yeah, so yesterday, or I think it might have been Friday morning, Tony asked me to prepare to do a message today. And, um, you know, I was thinking about it, and life is very complex, and it doesn't look like it's really getting any simpler in 2021, does it? It's kind of like just a continuation, but the Lord has come with us. New Year's Eve into New Year's Day, the Lord Jesus Christ made that transition with us. So he's with us this year, just as he was with us last year. And we thank him so much for that. And the good news also is that God wants to lead us through the complexities of life and really anything that comes our way. That's one of the the most awesome things about being a Christian is that we don't have to worry about anything. Jesus in the Gospels, he was telling his disciples, you know, fear not you of little faith. And throughout the New Testament, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. How, how much is nothing, right? Be anxious for no thing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses understanding, surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense to the mind, right? Uh, but that peace will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we have a good God, and he's come with us into this new year. He knows everything that it holds, and he's got a way through the wilderness. He's got a way through the sea. His way is in the sanctuary. And we need to come into the, well, we are in this sanctuary today, but we need to come into his sanctuary and renew our minds and get a vision of who he really is and just rejoice in that and know that he is going to lead us this year. So the passage of scripture that I wanted to look at today is Numbers uh, chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. And the title of this message is Following the Cloud. And it's, it's about being led by his spirit and hearing his voice. So um, if you... I'll give you a minute to turn there, Numbers chapter 9, and if you have it, you can stand up, and we'll just, out of um, respect for the scriptures, the word of God, we'll read our passage, and then we'll break it down a bit. So, Numbers 9, chapter 15, it says, Now, on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, from evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey and in the place where in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, uh, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night, 
whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey, whether it was two days, a month, or a year, that the cloud remained above the tabernacle. The children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped, and at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And you may be seated. And Lord, we thank you for your word and the lessons that are contained within this passage of scripture. And we have this wonderful picture. We know the history of Israel, how they went down. They were small in number. They went down into Egypt and Joseph prospered. And then the people of God were enslaved for 400 years. And then because the Lord had a plan of redemption for the human race that would be um, materialized through the Jewish line, he brought his people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with a mighty hand of deliverance. We know about the plagues in Egypt and all that. And here they are in the wilderness after having crossed through the Red Sea and God decides that, you know, I want to be with my people and I am going to lead them and I have a purpose for them. So um, they come into the wilderness, but they're not just there by themselves. God is with them. God is in their midst. <clears throat> and the cloud and the pillar of fire were visible signs of the presence of God in the midst of his people. And what was their job? Well, their job was to follow the cloud. We looked at all the references in that passage where at the command of the Lord, they would stay. At the command of the Lord, they would go. They didn't, it doesn't say, well, hey, when, we, when they got tired of such and such a place, they figured out, well, where's the next best place to go? And let's go there and let's figure out how we're going to do it. They didn't do that. It was at the command of the Lord. And when the cloud moved, that's when they uh, moved. So... Um, God didn't tell them why the cloud was parked for however long, for one day or two days or for a month or uh, for a year. Neither did he explain the backstory to them. He didn't tell them why they were at a particular place. Like, hey, um, Israelites, we're going to be here for the next two months, and here's why. Here's what we're going to accomplish in this season. He didn't tell them any such thing as that. Um, they were to follow the cloud in faith and leave the length of the season to him. And obviously there's a Christian parallel to that. Sometimes, you know, we find ourselves walking through life and, and we're just in a season because that's the season that we are in. And we don't know how long it's going to be. We don't know why and all these other things. But we know that we are following the cloud of his spirit. And at the end of the day, that's really the only thing that matters. So in the Old Testament, first of all, the tabernacle and later the temple was the place that God met with his people. Uh, and it was through that that he gave them guidance and instruction. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, I'll read it. It says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So God wanted the people of Israel to build a sanctuary so he could dwell in their midst. And it's God's desire to dwell in the midst of his people. Ex Exodus 25, 40, Moses was to make it according to the pattern that was shown him 
on the mountain, and it was basically a movable tent, a, a movable structure. Later, of course, the temple was a more permanent structure, but Moses was given very specific instructions. He, God didn't say, hey, Moses, you know, um, for the thing that I'm going to do with, with your people, I need you to build like some kind of a building, you know, just, you know, do what you, you know, make something that'll be nice and that'll be suitable for the purpose. He didn't say anything like that. He gave very specific purposes of, of all the poles and, you know, the, the different layers of material, the, the, the linen, the goat skin, the, the badger skins and all that, dyed different specific colors. There were silver clasps. There was a way that this thing was to be put together. Um, and it was according to the pattern that had been shown Moses on the mountain. And um, when we get to Exodus chapter 40, after this building process of the tabernacle has been complete, the Shekinah glory of God enters the tabernacle. It's been constructed according to the way that God wanted it to be constructed. And all of a sudden, the glory of God enters the tabernacle. Um, that chapter, Exodus 40, it also mentions the pillar of cloud and fire there also. It's interesting when the Temple of Solomon is built, a similar thing happens when it's dedicated. Solomon has his, his lengthy prayer there about the function and the purpose of the, the, the uh, temple as a meeting place for God and his people. And they sacrifice all these thousands and thousands of animals. And it says that in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 8, it says it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And isn't that a wonderful thing? When the glory of the Lord fills the house of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 8 tells us that the earthly sanctuary, speaking both of the tabernacle and also of the temple, those things were copies and a shadow of heavenly things. It basically represented something much bigger. If you remember the inside of the tabernacle, there were, it was embroidered with um, angels and, and things like that, and blue and things that represented heaven. And the book of Hebrews tells us when it's talking about Jesus being the more excellent high priest, how he went into this heavenly temple and essentially offered his blood as propitiation, not for his own sins because he was pure and holy, but for the sins of the human race. And so the tabernacle and the temple, that's where the physical structure, that's where atonement for people's sins were made by the priests and the high priest and the, the Levites and all the work that was done in the temple. But that was all representative of the work that Jesus was going to do in a sense in this real um, temple, this heavenly temple that was represented by the earthly structures. Um, the church has also become that sanctuary. The tabernacle was a sanctuary. The temple was a sanctuary. And in the New Testament context, the church also becomes that sanctuary. Peter writes, you also as living stones, each one of us Christians, those who know the Lord, we are living stones and we're being built up a spiritual house, 
a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. That's First Peter 2, uh, 5. So there's this wonderful thing that it's that that you know sometimes um, we think about the church and we think about buildings and all that. Especially before I was a Christian, before I was a born again Christian, you know, oh look, there's a church and there's a church and there's a church, and you have all these kind of buildings spotted throughout the landscape of America and around the world, places where where the church gathers. But it's something much um, deeper than that. It's a spiritual house that is being built together. And of course, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of that. The, um, the spiritual house that Peter mentions is the New Testament church. And in Acts chapter one, the disciples had received the promise from Jesus that they would receive in Jesus's words, the baptism of the spirit you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Sometimes we hear that phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's like, what's that all all about? Well, hey, it's a term that Jesus coined. He said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and through that, you will receive power, Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's a promise that was realized in um, Acts chapter 2. And I just want to read a portion of Acts chapter 2 because it's it's um, theologically very important. It's practically very important for our lives uh, to understand what is the nature of the New Testament church and to understand uh, the power and the spirit that we have been given in order to be his witnesses in this world. So um, we Acts chapter 2, verse 1, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read some p- portions of it. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And um, it's interesting because in in the previous chapter of Acts, Jesus just said to them, you will be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you're going to go to the ends of the earth, you're going to be communicating the gospel in other languages, presumably. Well, here in the second chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes, and they're given this ability to speak in other languages. We know because there there are Parthians, Medes, people from all over the Mediterranean world who were gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And um, what is it that they're able to hear that the disciples are speaking in? Well, they're speaking the wonderful works of God in in these other languages. And this is something that comes here at Pentecost. And then Peter stands up. He's now filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter explains the thing that's happening on the ground. He's able to give a scriptural context for the phenomena that is happening in the midst of the church. Um, 
he quotes from the prophet Joel. And he, he says, he quoting Joel, he says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy, he says. Um, so this is the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out. This sanctuary, you know, now think about how we're kind of progressing. You have the the tabernacle in the wilderness, and you have the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire representing the presence of God dwelling in the midst of his people in that sanctuary. Solomon's temple, after it's dedicated, you have the presence of the Lord and the glory filling that temple. Well, here you have this other temple built with living stones in, in as according to, you know, the words of, of Peter, and you have the Holy Spirit filling this new temple in a sense, and the glory of God is there, and they're speaking the 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 wonderful works of God. Um, if we break that down another step, we are individually that sanctuary. First Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, Paul writes, he says, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't have a literal pillar of cloud uh, and fire hovering above us, but we do have his spirit. And, you know, in on the day of Pentecost, they had the fire above their heads, right? And it's kind of that, that same picture of the presence of God dwelling in the church and dwelling with the individual believer. In the, um, in the Old Testament, they had the pillar of fire and cloud. <clears throat> As New Testament believers, we have his spirit, and he wants to lead us in the same way that, you know, the, 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 the cloud remained and they remained, the cloud moved and they moved. And God wants to lead us like that, but we have to uh, remain connected to Christ, our head, and be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I'll make a, a statement which may be controversial, but I will say God is greater than Google. Do you believe that? Because, I mean, there's some question about that these days. And I'll, I'll share a story. Um, in England, where I usually live most of the time, I'm, I'm back here trying to get in, getting some health things taken care of and all that. But in England, we have, um, in, in Oxford, it's a Teach the Word conference. And we do it every uh, year. And it's basically the Calvary Chapels in the UK come to Oxford. And it's a day of, you know, teaching Bible studies and all that, like a one-day conference. And my pastor in England, Pastor Dave Sylvester, he pastors the church in York and also heads up the Bible College. Um, he was scheduled to speak at this a couple years ago, maybe three years ago. So he was taking the train down from York to Oxford. And on the train, just for fun, he, he got on his phone and he Googled and he, he typed in. He said, what is the, what is the most, what was it? What is the greatest problem facing the church today. He typed that in. What is the greatest problem facing the church today? What do you think came up? It said, you are not connected to the internet. And I mean, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, you think about the application and 
what really is, is the biggest problem facing the church today? We're not maybe connected all the time. And he was expecting something profound to come up. You know, it's, um, it, it's the government or it's, you know, different movements and, and all that. But no, you are not connected. And he shared this in, in the conference and it was great because, you know, if we're not connected to the head, that's really the, that's really the only thing um, that's mattered, that matters, being connected to Jesus Christ. And God is greater than Google. And Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I will build my church as long as the world gives me a platform to get the message out. And I realize that we're on YouTube and all that. And, and the, a lot of this, this, these technological things are wonderful means for getting out the gospel. And it's great to use them while we're able to use them. But if it were all to go away, the church will continue to be built. Jesus, uh, you know, he didn't say, I'll build my church as long as the world gives me a platform to get the message out. What he did say is that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the strategies of hell are not going to be able to effectively come against it. They'll come against it with all different things, whatever, you know, but they're not going to be able to limit what Jesus is going to do as it pertains to building his church. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is in no danger of being deplatformed. Remember that. He's in no danger of being deplatformed. His platform is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. I think the, the Bible says something like a, a glassy sea or something like that. Maybe that's kind of like his platform. Nobody's going to deplatform. Form Jesus, his Father, or the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And we need to, you know, that's maybe the great reset that we need to, to keep in our minds and remember who is God and, and what, you know, what he's able to do on our behalf and what his plans are in terms of building the church. And we can get really distracted. I mean, there's definitely a place to be a good citizen. There's definitely a place to oppose unrighteousness, but there's also things that we need to remember, like the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, for casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, are there things today that are exalting themselves, people and ideas exalting themselves against the knowledge of God? And, you know, by faith, we can pull these things down. And, you know, the, so often the enemy kind of wants us to grapple with him. He wants us to grab a hold of him and, devil, I got you, and all that. And we want to see immediate automatic retribution when we see unrighteousness in the world. And we see things like censorship and something, you know, we get this kind of rage, like, what do you mean, censor? You can't do that and all that. Oh, yeah. Well, pull the plug. I did. What are you going to do? Well, hey, we know Jesus. We have his Holy Spirit. And he wants us to follow the cloud because he's doing a work in the world. And, yes, sometimes he's going to call us to oppose those things. And sometimes maybe he's going to, um, maybe we do need to use litigation and things like that. The tools that are 
at our disposal, but we do have much more powerful weapons. And, you know, the devil always wants us to kind of um, get into the dirty battle, as it were, and to get kind of ugly and messy. And, you know, if you look at the body of Christ today, the fragmentation and all that, and everybody has different ideas about, you know, whether it's masks, whether it's it's whatever. And, and I understand that, and there's a place for that. But we don't want to get diverted from the true nature of the battle. And we, we need to recognize what the battle really is and how we engage that battle. And, and a key to that is being connected. A lot of us, you know, we're all connected to the internet, but maybe our connection, um, maybe there's like a bottleneck in our connection with the Lord. And maybe there's other things that are kind of like plugging up that, um, you know, that, what, that wire, that connection. And we need to be careful um, about those things. <clears throat> Just let's look at some examples. Stephen in Acts chapter uh, six, he was one of the deacons that was chosen, right? And all of a sudden, you know, in the morning he's waiting tables and now all of a sudden he's having a theological uh, debate with the religious rulers and he's winning. It tells us in Acts chapter uh, six, verse 10 of Stephen, it says that they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And that was something that came from the Lord, right? He wasn't, you know, he certainly wasn't a graduate of the, you know, rabbinical schools in Jerusalem and all that, but he had a wisdom that came from God. Luke chapter uh, 21, verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, he, he says, I will give you a mouth, and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. That's the sort of thing that Jesus wants to give us. He wants to give us his wisdom. And, you know, the the way that the world engages in battle, they're, they're very clever and they're very strategic in the way that they do things. And the devil is clever and strategic, but he's only operating kind of like on this level. God is like way up here. And we don't have within ourselves the resources to come against the things of the enemy and the things of the world and all that. I mean, in, in our own selves, we, we have, you know, some of us may be um, smarter than the average bear or, or whatever. We may have skills and abilities and all that. But the real thing that we need to have operating in our lives, we need to be that vessel that is filled with his Holy Spirit. Um, because sometimes we can get diverted and we can get engaged in all these battles that really aren't that profitable and aren't going to bring about eternal um, kind of effects and all that. So we, we need to remember these things and we need to renew our minds and we need to be in the sanctuary, right? The sanctuary is the thing that had the spirit, the, the, the fire and the cloud and all that. And we have to um, be in the sanctuary. You, you all know Psalm 73. And, you know, I was envious when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And the, the psalmist pours out his heart and how he was affected when he saw the wickedness in the world. And, hey, there's no, there's no immediate automatic retribution. They do what they want, and they're making money hand over fist, and they have the rule of the day. And, you know, the psalmist was oppressed in his spirit 
when he thought about those things. He's like, where is the justice? Where is, you know, what is going on here? And then, oh, but I went into the sanctuary. I went into the sanctuary, and I saw their end. I saw the big picture, and I recognized that God is in his temple, and he's not mocked. And so that's what we have to do. We have to go into the sanctuary, as it were. We need to renew our thinking and our our minds, and we need to be filled with his Holy Spirit and get that heavenly perspective and recognize that, yeah, I mean, 1 John 5, and we know that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one, but the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we might know him. And that's the thing. He's given us an understanding, and we need to walk in that understanding. Yes, we recognize that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. Sometimes, you know, if, if, we, look about, if we look at the last 10 or 20 years with technology and how it's been readily available to the church and, and everything that we've been able to do through YouTube and, and Facebook and social media and all that, and it's been this open... Um, platform that's been free for us to use. But do you think that from the beginning, do you think that the devil did not have a plan for that also? So we can't, you know, we can use those things as long as we're able to, but we can't really, we don't want to rely on those things and, and think that somehow if those things are taken away, that my effectiveness as a Christian in this world has been diminished. Because I don't believe that that is the case. I, I believe that in the early days of the church, we see a church that was led, directed, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, if you look throughout church history and you, you read some accounts, you know, th- there's the, these accounts of people just divinely just kind of showing up places as they were led by the Holy Spirit. Um, who is it? Uh, Philip was another one of the deacons that was chosen in Acts chapter 6. And then there's the persecution that breaks out after Stephen is martyred. It says that they went everywhere. They were scattered. They went everywhere preaching the gospel. And Philip goes to Samaria, and he begins to preach Christ there. And he has this effective, powerful ministry. And all of a sudden, it says an angel of the Lord says, hey, you know, Philip, go to the road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Just, Just go on that road. So the cloud, like, kind of moves for him, right? And he doesn't know what's involved. He doesn't know the length of the season or where the, like, where on the road to stop and all that. But he just goes. And as he goes, then he sees the uh, Ethiopian eunuch with the chariot pulled over and all that. And the spirit spoke to him and said, go near to the chariot. He didn't get a, a text message. He didn't get any sort of whatever. It was the spirit spoke to him and said, go draw near the chariot. So he goes near the chariot and he hears um, this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch reciting, reading from Isaiah 53. He had probably been in Jerusalem and bought a copy of Isaiah and maybe hoped to find the living God of Israel in the temple. And maybe he left and he was disappointed. And so he stops and he's reading through Isaiah. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brings a man, Philip, to him and hey, do you know what you're reading? And who is this guy? What is he talking about? Is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And Philip explains to him. He comes up into the chariot, leads him to Christ. Oh, here's water. Baptizes him. And then he's caught away 
by the, by the Spirit. And that's the kind of life, I mean, sometimes we look into the pages of Scripture and how could we ever have a life like that? Well, we can, and God will do things like that in our lives as we trust in him and as we cultivate um, an ear to hear what he's saying to us. He who has an ear, let him hear, right? That was what Jesus said. That's what uh, is said in, in the book of Revelation, having an ear to hear and cultivating an ear that can hear the Lord and, and what it is that he's saying to us. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we all know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight. So even as Christians, we can choose to not trust in the Lord when it comes to some of the decisions of our lives. We can, we can choose to lean on our own understanding, and we may have trusted Christ for salvation, yet at times we revert to uh, purely our own wisdom when it comes to navigating the issues of life. And there are going to be times when our own understanding and what may seem to be the wise thing to do comes into conflict with what Jesus is leading us to do. And we need to be cautious of that. Sometimes people will have expectations. Well, hey, you should you know, be doing this or you should be doing that. And I mean, even parents sometimes, those of you who are parents, sometimes, you know, you want the best for your children, but maybe the Lord is really speaking to them about doing something. And it may not look, you know, what do you mean? You're going to be a, a missionary or you're going to do this or that or, or whatever. It may not seem to be the wisest thing. Yet, if God is in it, then he is in it and he's got all, all the details. And we need to be sensitive of those things. So, so there are going to be times when our own faculty and reason are going to come into conflict with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And um, this can be in really little things and in really big things. Sometimes, you know, we'll see the wise thing to do and, oh, I can handle this problem. We'll just throw a little bit of money and all that and boom, it's done. And this is when I moved to York, like, what was it? I guess about six years ago, five or six years ago, somewhere. Um, it was this, I was there for a couple months and then it was a summertime and it was hot. So I wanted to buy a fan for the flat that I was living in. And um, every time I would go to the supermarket, you know, there's a, a little 10 pound box fan, it's like $12, $13, something like that. And so I would go to the supermarket. Oh, that's the perfect fan. I would go to buy it. And I would feel the Lord tell me, don't buy it. Don't buy it. I was like, what? It's, I mean, I can afford a, I can afford a $12 fan, right? What's the big deal with that? And then I would go to this other like hardware store. Oh, there's the perfect fan. And this happened over like a three or four day period. And I just kept feeling the Lord say, don't buy that fan. Don't buy it. I was like, why? What's the point? And um, so I go back to our flat and I'm sitting at the kitchen table and I look up on top of the refrigerator and there's a fan right there. And so sometimes we think like, what's the big deal? You know, it's only something little. And, you know, God wouldn't have been angry with me if I had bought the fan, but he just wanted to teach me a lesson and to save me a little bit of money. And God will save us money. You know, he can save you money. A lot of times we, we just think, okay, well, problem, here's the solution, boom. Sometimes God has a different solution, and that's just a really little illustration, but he's done big things in my life like that too. And there have been times where I haven't listened, and then you know, like 
the day after you make the purchase, oh my goodness, why did I do that, you know? And he wants to lead us in all these things. Isaiah thirty twenty one. you shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, wherever you turn to the right hand or to the left. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us. Um, Acts chapter 16, you know, it's another kind of classic example. Paul has ideas of what he wants to do in ministry. He's thought them through and, okay, so uh, I want to go to this place. It It says in Acts 16, verse 6, we had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. It's a good thing to want to preach the word, right? But sometimes God will say, no, it's not the time there, or it's not the time here. After that, they, they came to Mysia, and they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia uh, stood and uh, pleading with them, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so, hey, this is the open door. They conclude this is what God wants, so they immediately go. And so sometimes, you know, as we follow the cloud in our lives, we'll see something, oh, that looks like a good thing, but the cloud isn't going that direction, right? And, you know, we go somewhere else, and oh, well, it's not that direction either. And all of a sudden, boom, here's the thing, and there's confirmation. And then they actually go there, and we know that in Philippi is where they're led, Macedonia, right? And a church is planted, and this wonderful work of God happens in addition to persecution. So God has a right way for us, um, not too much longer, but I just want to look at a, um, a passage in Ezra chapter 8, a couple passages here that kind of bring out the illustration of, of following the cloud and being led by his spirit. We know in the book of Ezra that his mission, right, was Nehemiah had come back and, and um, began to kind of rebuild and all that. Ezra's mission is to rebuild the temple and kind of get worship going again. Um, Ezra chapter 8, he's returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And as they're getting ready to set out on their journey, Ezra 8, 21, it says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river uh, of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way uh, for us, for uh, our little ones, and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power uh, and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. He answered our prayer. So a couple of things jumped out at me when I, when I was reading this passage a while back. They seek him for, for, for three things, really. To seek uh, from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. And he answered their, their prayer. And it's interesting, God has a right way. You know, there are a lot of ways that we can go in life, especially America. You can do whatever you want, right? 
pretty much within the, the constraints of your skills and abilities and resources. Uh, but here, <clears throat> they're seeking the right way to go. And how many of you want to go the right way, right? I mean, you have, we have goals and things that we want to do, but there's a right way to do it. And that way is a way that God reveals as we follow the cloud and as we get the plan from him step by step. So God has a right way for, um, for us. Here it says also the, the right way for us and our little ones. So God has a way for those of you that have children, for your children to go, and you can seek him for that. And here's another thing that um, I read a while back, and there's also a right way for all our possessions. And you mean God's, God's concerned about our stuff? God's concerned about, you know, what car we buy? Really? Is he? Well, yeah, evidently he is. He has a right way for our possessions and, and for even things like financial uh, wisdom, when to buy or sell a house, what car to drive, uh, whether or not to buy a fan, right? God is concerned with all these things, and it's all wrapped up in hearing his voice. And sometimes um, he wants us to be obedient in a little thing like, hey, you know what? You, the fan, are you going to give that decision to me for, for a $12 fan? Well, when I moved to England also, I needed to buy a car because I had to get around. I was involved in a, a ministry about an hour away, so I needed to drive. And I knew, I mean, anybody's vulnerable buying a used car, right? Especially in England, not kind of knowing the, the way around and how, you know, used car dealers work and all that sort of thing. So I prayed. I was like, Lord, you know I am very vulnerable and I can't afford to make a bad decision here, so please show me the car. And it's a, it's a long story, but the Lord showed me the car to buy. And it was, it was pretty cheap. It was like 2000 pounds, which is like $2,500. And I still have it in, in York to this day. And I haven't had any major um, malfunctions with it. I've had it like five years and the Lord showed me what car to buy. So for, you know, we, we entreated the Lord for the right way for us, our little ones and our possessions and skipping down. Uh, we fasted and entreated God for this and he answered our prayer. So, I mean, do you, do you need to figure out like what car to buy or where to rent an apartment or buy a house or where to sell something or whatever? Seek the Lord. I mean, he's concerned with those things. And, and sometimes those little things are wrapped up in bigger things. You know, you obey the Lord in those small things and you seek to hear his voice and then he'll lead you in, in bigger things. And, you know, I think about, I'm, well, I'm here in New Jersey right now, but my home is in England and I teach at a Bible college there. And I didn't just like, I didn't, that didn't just kind of happen as the result of one decision. That was hundreds of decisions over the years that kind of got me there, following the Lord. All these intermediary stages, you know, whether the cloud was there one day or two days or, or a month or a year, you know, being involved in a ministry here or there or doing this thing or that thing. And sometimes we think that, what is the big thing, Lord? And at the Bible college, the students want to know, hey, what is God's will for my life, right? Everybody wants to know that. What is God's will for my life? Well, his will is sanctification, first of all, but it's the little things primarily. <clears throat> and life is really like 
I heard it said, said this way. Someone said this to me years and years ago that excellence isn't about big things. It's about all the little things done right. And with God, there with God, it's, it's there are really all little things which become big things. And He wants us to be obedient. Just this, 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 and this. You know, all the little things along the way, and those things add up to something big over time. And sometimes we want, okay, what's the heavy revy? You know, the, the just the big thing, Lord. Do I, you know, move to another country? Do I marry this person? Do I buy this house? And he's like, well, I want you to, I want you to tithe, actually, or I want you to um, come faithfully and, you know, greet people at the door or, or whatever. And he wants us to be faithful in the little things as he leads us. And, you know, big things will come um, as, as we're led by his spirit. So he has a right way for us, and he wants us to... Um, Cultivate the ability to hear his voice. You know, my sheep hear my voice, he said. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And he wants to speak to us. And these days that we're living in, we don't know, you know, what life is going to be like in America in in a month or six months or a year or whatever. But we're not really limited. The only thing that's, God has a plan for us. And he has power for us. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses. We can allow ourselves to be shut down by, oh, the world's not giving me a platform and all that, or we can just be filled by his Spirit and recognize, oh, I think the Spirit is telling me to to pray for this person or to go here or to go there. You can get goofy, too, and, you know, think that, oh, well, you know, that God's telling you to do something that he might not be telling you to do. But... There is a very real way that he speaks to us. And the longer we walk with him and as we obey in the little things, we'll find ourselves caught up in the midst of his will as we follow the cloud. So going back to our, um, our main passage, uh, I just want to read a couple of verses there again. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, they would journey, whether by day or by night, Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey, whether it was two days, a month, or a year, that the cloud remained above the tabernacle. The children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey, but when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped, and at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And so really, that's all that we have to do, right? We follow the cloud. We follow the leading of his Holy Spirit, and he'll cause us to be fruitful in our lives, and he'll do wonderful things. Those who know their God will do exploits, it says in the book of uh, Daniel. Yeah, so let's pray, and we'll 